You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey, what's going on, Grump? It is my once a month bad cold period where I'm sick again, but we will we'll power through this. Uh, last time we uh, we talked to everybody, the Lightning had beaten the Rangers and are now in the Stanley Cup Finals, and I'd be gloating a lot more, but... Your Yankees just whack my rays pretty badly, and we look like complete dog shit. So <laughs> let's just call it even, everybody, and you know, move on our merry ways. I won't say anything else if you guys don't say anything. So yeah, well, the New Jersey Generals are uh, moving into the playoffs, so I'm feeling pretty good. They went nine and one in the regular season, um, and they will be uh, playing their long-standing rivals, the Philadelphia Stars, oh, it's, uh, uh, in that divisional matchup. Herschel Walker versus Kelvin Bryant. Huh? Yeah, and uh, and then, you know, hopefully moving into the championship the week after that, which I think is like 4th of July. We're going to start this one off with some news. So Giants linebacker Justin Hilliard has tested positive for a banned substance. It's a diuretic. He claims it was his partner's medication he took by mistake. He will serve a two-game suspension. I will serve two minutes of having thought about this. <laughs> People are making their own decisions about the COVID uh, tests and everything and, and vaccinations. These guys are accidentally taking their partner's <laughs> illegal medication. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a diuretic. There's a million reasons why someone could be prescribed a diuretic. I think it's a legitimate excuse. I also think he's lying. It's bullshit. Yeah, he, I, think he, I think it's – I mean, it's a completely legit thing for his partner to have a diuretic. It's not – Oh, yeah, sure. But, but yeah, I don't think he These took his partner's medication know, by mistake. <laughs> they don't know exactly what's going in their body is bullshit. Yeah, I, 100%. Yeah. Um, in other news, T.J. Brunson was waived. T.J. Brunson is an inside linebacker. He was a Giants' 2020 seventh-round pick from South Carolina. He never quite caught on. I never quite knew what they saw in him, but it's a seventh-round pick, so whatever. Um, he was waived. A seventh-round seven pick who lasted on the roster for two years is not the worst thing in the world. No, not at all, but I, it's just in general. It's a seventh-round pick. You take a flyer on him. Yep, um, new regime, Yeah. new uh, personnel. You move on. Never, never really deserved any sort of playing time, so whatever. But they did, in his place, sign Keelan Doss. Keelan Doss is a 2019 undrafted free agent who was signed originally by the Raiders. Uh, he has bounced around the league. Um, he is from UC Davis. Most notably, he is a six foot three wide receiver, so big body guy. Um, that's interesting <laughs> because we just continue to throw bodies at the wide receiver spot. Um, and I wonder how much of that is due to injuries. I wonder how much of that is due to what they want to do with the position. And I wonder how much of that is due to Darius Slayton. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Darius Slayton is um, going to be probably a topic this offseason. He's very polarizing because you know my thoughts on Darius Slayton. Yeah. I've never I've never been a big fan. I feel we've upgraded the position. Um. So, yeah, I'd be very curious if he's on the roster when the season starts. So, Giants minicamp. Um, resu- uh, 
concluded. It was a three-day minicamp, June 7th, 8th, and 9th, I believe, with the third day canceled. Uh, Brian Daybold canceled the final day and replaced it instead with like a team-building barbecue activity or something like that. Important to note that because Brian Dable is a first-year head coach, the Giants were allowed to get on the field earlier and for longer than other teams. So this final day of minicamp where Probably was planned anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I th- yeah, it was just one of those things. And they had already had good attendance going all the way through their their voluntary workouts through the mandatory minicamp. So really, what's the point? And speaking to what's the point, um, we're going to go through just some observations that beat writers had. But there's not going to be a whole lot we can glean from this, partly because it's minicamp, partly because it was yeah. only two of three days, and mostly because there were nearly 15 guys in non-contact red jerseys doing varying levels of work, um, most of which does not allow us to see a first team, what we expect to be the first team in August in training camp, doing much of anything. So there's a hodgepodge everything all over the place. Uh, so going forward while we talk about minicamp, that is something to keep in mind. And we said that in our last episode before the, uh, you know, our war room episode that we weren't overly concerned about anybody with a red jersey. There's different reasons. Not our concern what's going on in June for that. Yeah, no, not at all. And it's important to note you might see that there's, you know, let's just say there's 25 guys in red jerseys. They're all doing varying levels of work, uh, some of which... You know, if it weren't June, would not be in a red jersey. You know, if it were August, they might be, you know, in a red jersey but still participating and just mm-hmm. not allowed to be hit, you know, whatever. And Or, you know, if it were October, they would just be practicing in a either limited capacity or fully because they have a game coming up. And it's just that's the nature of their injury. Right. So there were guys doing things. There were other guys that weren't. So like Andrew Thomas is recovering from surgery. He's having a lot of trouble running and putting a ton of weight and probably shouldn't be doing that right now. Other guys like Kenny Galladay are in a red jersey as a precautionary measure. And they're on the side running through drills, catching balls, running around. If they had to play, if there was a game Sunday, I, I would think people like Kenny Galladay would be playing. I would so. think so for sure. So, so it's important important to keep all that in mind all of these guys sat so what we what we're able to see and, and observe uh from practice or whatever uh is fairly limited but that doesn't mean that all of these guys are seriously hurt or are unable to participate in any capacity and are behind the eight if ball or anything they were like that hurt, they wouldn't even be in red jerseys they would yeah. just be probably not even there or just doing something extremely light so yeah, and, and that's in all, that's thing that they're out there at least in red jerseys. Yeah, I, I think the guys that I'm probably the most concerned. So I'm gonna I'm gonna list the most notable guys that were in red jerseys, and you tell me who you think most concerns you. Okay. From this list, so we have Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Blake Martinez, Kayvon Thibodeau. Rodarius Williams, Aaron Robinson, Andrew Thomas, Darnay Holmes. Well, I mean, Andrew Thomas would scare me the most, but I think they're giving him ultra protection, so I'm not overly concerned. But if there was one of those guys that I knew would be ready for for day one in September, it would be him. Yeah, and and that's mine too. You know, everybody. The, I have serious concerns about three guys in the secondary. Uh, at, at corner being in red jerseys but I'm pretty sure all three of them are probably fairly okay you know Rodarius Williams is recovering from ACL mm-hmm. surgery but that happened so early in the year last year and he's also a little further on the death chart 
Andrew Thomas, for me, is such a bedrock for this team, and he, he is somebody that could torpedo the season if he's down. Uh, and he is the one who's recovering. He's the one who's really not doing work right now. Um, so if I had to pick somebody, it'd be him. Other than that, I'm not really all that concerned about these guys in red jerseys. And most of them are pretty fine. Most of them are dealing with little nicks and bruises or you know just general rest and recovery or are, are a bit buried in the depth chart, and therefore I'm not that worried for that reason. Yeah. Again, being in June, not as concerned, but really for anybody. But let me ask you something, though. Let's say worst-case scenario, Andrew Thomas isn't ready to go on week one. What, what do you do at left tackle? Do you slide Evan Neal over right away, or do you band-aid it for a week or two? Like, right. Well, I mean, it's June right now, so... Um... I'm just saying just, you know, forget even the red jersey now. Let's say in the, the, the first preseason game, Andrew Thomas goes down for two weeks. And he's, he's out. He won't be in the opener. Would you keep Evan Neal just at right tackle all the time and just develop him, him there and just, you know, band-aid it on the left side? Or do you move him over, you know, to... He's missing one game, the, the opening well, let's game. Two. Let's say two. He's missing two games. I'm keeping Evan Neal at right tackle, and I'm game planning around not having my my starter at left tackle. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to wreck my rookie who is just barely getting a handle on the playbook and move him to the left side. Now, if, if the question is, you know, going forward, let's just say either week 17 um, or you know next year, what's my plan at backup left tackle? It's probably Evan Neal. Um, but right, but 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 that but week one, week two, not fucking with that. Um, right. you know, I'm letting I'm letting Evan Neal be a very good right tackle before I do anything with him at right. left tackle. Or any time of the year, if it's week, weeks nine and ten, he's out. I, I wouldn't do. I do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think it would be different if Andrew Thomas were down for the year. Well, that's me. My next question. Yeah, what? then 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 um probably this is the time where I'm making that decision based on what I saw in June. And since right. I'm not a coach, I don't know. But if he picked up the playbook really well, he really looks like whatever. Um, then you know that's probably like yeah, we should probably cross trade him at left tackle throughout the year a little bit at a time, you know, just in case whatever. Because I think that's probably the plan. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, I'm go- I'm going to let him develop into being a very good right tackle before I make him anything at left tackle. And, and these are questions again; they're not based on anything I see with a red jersey. These are just general. Right. What What would you do scenarios? And it's a legit thing. I mean, they have to figure out that swing tackle thing. You know, yes. A, a lot of people thought that Matt Gano was going to be that person, and Matt Gano honestly shouldn't be any person. Um, yeah. The fact that he's the first tackle off the uh, bench is already a bad. I thing. mean, you have to learn how to walk before crawl before you can walk, and we got to get starters before you're worrying about depth on this offensive line. Yeah. So yeah, so um, yeah, that's pretty much that. Um, so some some key notes from the offense. Um, Let's start with Daniel Jones. This this mm-hmm. coaching staff is focused on putting him in the best position to be effective. So, you know, we, we've we said, people have said ad nauseum uh, about all the times that uh, Jones speaks with Mike Kafka and Brian Dable about the plays that he likes and they go over that stuff and they work on stuff together. So that's that. But based on what has been observed in practice, they have been mixing in lots and lots and lots of running along with a lot of motion and movement to get the ball to guys in space. And often that's going to be in a quick game scenario somewhere around three yards ahead of the line scrimmage to behind the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of stuff that they do in Buffalo. It's a lot of stuff that they also do in Kansas City. 
mm-hmm. uh, where Kafka is from. So, <laughs> and, and this Duke. Yeah, uh, I, I, honestly, it, it, it's not like it, this is a huge part of Daniel Jones's game or anything like that. But this is the huge part of a game where you just have playmakers and you're going to let them make plays, and you don't necessarily have a structured offense. Like this is this is kind of a good thing to do when you are rebuilding. Is kind mm-hmm. of make this shit your staple. And then work around that, and that's what we've been seeing. You know, the the deep shots are going to be mixed in with those things. They're they're going to try and get the ball in space and get people moving forward. Uh, hey, you know, something until we see an offensive line that can pass protect long enough, and until we can start seeing receivers who can get separation on a routine basis, that's just not going to be a, a, a standard part of our offense that you play. It's just not until they yeah. prove themselves. That's going to take time. You know, for these guys to, you know, get the reps and, and install this offense and, and everything. So I think this is a smart way to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other thing we've been seeing is that Saquon Barkley has been a major focal point of the offense so far. Um, he has stated publicly, I guess, like whatever, at the podium, uh, that he feels a lot more confident than he had been last year. He did not feel very confident at all coming off of the injury and I guess probably just with the offensive line that he was dealing with. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and just the fact that he was not very effective this, thus far in his career. Um, but this coaching staff is moving him all over the formation. He's been on the field with other running backs at the same time. He's been um, in the slot, moving around in motion. Um, I mean, so and be, he also appears honest. to be back to closer to form. Let's be honest. I mean, everybody's quick to bag on him and everything and, and kind of write him off, assuming we we're going to trade him. But. He's the best offensive player on this team. He's the best weapon. And this coaching staff, you know, they're they're evaluating what they have. They're they're learning their personnel as much as they are installing what their, you know, game plans are, you know, their their schemes and, and their plans. And they see what this guy can do. I mean, forget the talk of contracts and re-signing and trading and all that nonsense. Just Saquon Barkley, the player, he's a year removed from that injury, he's talking the right things about how he's more confident. I mean, before he was hurt, he was the best offensive player on this team. And, you know, I certainly think he's the best weapon this team has. So they are going to make him the linchpin of this offense. They're probably going to get the ball in his ways that we didn't think of in, in, in the prior coaching, uh, you know, staffs. So that doesn't surprise me at all. They should be doing that. And if they move on from during the year, don't resign him, we'll figure it out then. But for right now, He's the best. So, look, um, I, I'm not going to go into the the all of the um, points that you could make against uh, drafting a running back at number two. But if you are going to justify that, your justification is that Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey the same way is not a running back. He is an offensive weapon. Now, if I have a big criticism you know, beyond just drafting Barkley where you draft him, it's if you're going to draft that player, use him to his fullest extent. Now, Pat Shermer did like to use Barkley a lot, but Joe Judge's and Jason Garrett's approach to this whole offense was very neutered. Um, And Saquon Barkley was no exception to that. We didn't see Barkley featured in a lot of ways that put him in the best position. I mean, they did try to yeah, make him a, a of, focal point. Last year but, was a lot of circumstances. But I'm not even talking about last year. I mean, even even the beginning of the prior year before he got hurt. Um, it, it just... 
he wasn't put in motion a whole lot. You know, if, if he was doing anything, it was just, you know, lined up in the slot and then motion back into the backfield. Very, very basic things. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in motion at the snap. You know, he wasn't used very much as a distraction. It was very deliberate when he was used. Um, and, and I'm not going to – this isn't – this what I'm saying is not necessarily to bag on the prior coaching staff. But this is just in general. Neither coaching staff used Saquon Barkley to his fullest extent, which is this. It's moving him everywhere. It's not yeah. – the fact that he's on the field and another running back on the field alone, it doesn't even matter what he's doing. It's right there. You have no idea what he's doing. You have no idea what the offense is planning when you have two running backs and, and Barkley's in the slot and then he can motion into the backfield, motion that guy. I mean, it, it creates so much extra confusion. None of that shit was done by either coaching staff beforehand. And it's it, it Freddie Kitchens, Jason Garrett, Joe Judge, Pat Shermer, none of them. Let's go back to last year for a little bit. Just from your eyes, on a scale of 1 to 10, how far physically do you think he was back? It doesn't. I, I, it, that doesn't matter. I'm yes, not, it does. I'm no, not making a point. No, so, because the point doesn't matter because they didn't do it in 2020 when he was back. But, yeah, but how many and games did he play before he got hurt? Who gives a shit? The sample size is the sample size. In all three games they, or four games, they did not in but, any but, capacity but, 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 run I'm, I'm any talking, plays. I'm talking about last year. Okay. Right. How, how much do you think he was back? 70%? Physically, yeah, I think that he was probably seventy-five percent before the ankle injury. I think when he came back physically, I think he was probably seventy to seventy-five percent when he came back from that. But mentally, he was shot because yeah. a the season was shot, and b he had lost his confidence. C he knew the offensive line was a total shit show. And I'm I'm probably picking nits here about this, but I just don't think this those coaching staffs had, had confidence in him that he was back. And I think they're trying to protect him. I think they looked at last year as just kind of like a he'll be back in twenty. I mean, remember, I don't. This coaching staff did not think they were they were going to be fired in November, and I think they were thinking of a longer plan for him. Of like, we'll get him back and we'll, we'll gradually get him back into this offense so he can feel comfortable, get mentally, you know, in his head so he can play. So for twenty twenty two. He's the old Saquon, and now we'll do our things. So your plan for giving a guy confidence is to have him run between the tackles? I, I am also not Joe Judge. I well, but, but I, I, that's what I think that theory falls apart. Yeah, I mean, Joe Judge, I think, was a very did not do a good job as being a head coach. I, but, what I'm saying— That's, I, if, that's if, what I think they were trying to do. Uh, that, that very well may be the case that that was their intent, but my yeah. point isn't really what their intent was. My point is that— Neither coaching staff, no coaching staff that Barkley had in the NFL has used him to his fullest extent. And that and that includes just simple things like him as a distraction. You know, Let me ask you, looking at the tape back when he was at Penn State, did they do that more with him? Mm, not necessarily. So um, that's three coaching staff that have it. So. Yeah, but that's not – but that – that's a little irrelevant because I'm just talking about the justification for drafting him, you know – High, making him a priority, getting a guy like that and bringing him into the NFL. What, the college level just functions a little differently, and there's unlimited amounts of five-star recruits you can recruit. So mm-hmm. it really doesn't – I mean, you're correct, but I don't think he needed any creativity at the college level to be super I, effective. I, I think it comes down to a general manager that had old-school ways of thinking and also was – Attracted either by himself or by ownership of having a face of the franchise, and that's why they drafted him. It's, it's you're 100 percent right. I but what, what, what I'm saying is that you can justify getting a Christian McCaffrey or a Saquon Barkley 
at a later time in the draft, but you can justify it by using him more than just as a running back because right. they are effective in ways that traditional run- – and not even traditional running backs, just 99% of running backs are not effective the way that those two guys are. So well, you, you're you supposed to exploit those things that make them special, not eliminate them. Well, the good thing now is you know nobody in this building – has any ties to that pick. That's they, correct. They could use him however they want now, and there's no justification even needed. Now it's just, here's my asset. Here's a guy that you know can do all these things. He's a unique talent. It's going to be on them. But it, it, again, we're still seeing the things that are not being done like you're talking about. Then it's like, well, it's three coaching staffs it hasn't. And you know what's maybe that's just not him. Yeah. But, but, you know, okay, so uh, to bring this full circle, this is what we are seeing, is that Barkley is one of the main focal points in the offense thus far that we've seen in OTAs and minicamp. They are moving him everywhere. They're making him the center, and he looks electric, is what we've heard from three different beat writers. So that's good. The other thing that's really interesting is Daniel Bellinger, a mid-round tight end, a mid-round draft pick at tight end, has been getting all of the first-team reps over Atkins and Seals Jones. Brian Dable has stressed that it's a rep chart, not a depth chart. Yeah. Um, I somewhat believe that. Okay. Um, I do believe that on game day, Brian Dable is going to put the bep the best depth set. He's going to have the best players on the depth chart in that order. But I also believe that they are currently giving reps to the people that they want to be at the top of the depth chart. Sure, of uh, uh, so I, I, I don't think that Brian Dable is full of shit when he says that. But I do think that it's not completely unrelated to the depth chart. I think they're trying to get the depth chart the, set the way that they think it. They're trying to get a head start to get Bellinger at the top where they think he belongs and because they know three, Seals Jones is not a tight end one. And all three of those guys are guys that they brought in. They didn't inherit any of those guys, right? You are absolutely correct. In fact, they got rid of the few guys that were still right. here. You remember we did our – how do we get to you know 40 million or whatever. How do we get to 40 million? And we're like, well, there's no tight ends. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> that, is, that was a real short episode. <laughs> um, so that that's good news. And um, – you know, it's, that is a mid-round draft pick that is being uh, not handed a position, but they're they're Turning really some heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, apparently, and um, uh, per reports, he appears to be fitting right in. Um, I, I guess in some regards, standing out. But again, remember, standing out is against some red jerseys, so you have guys going up against not legitimate first starters. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So if you're hearing that Daniel Jones would have been sacked around the blind side, that's not Andrew Thomas we're talking about. So keep right. that in mind. Um, flipping oh, – oh, I guess just one minor note, Wandell Robinson, since people are very curious about him, the second-round pick. Uh, he is a rookie, so he worked mostly with the second team and with Terod Taylor as he gets accustomed to an NFL playbook, which, remember, he came from Kentucky and before that, what was it, Nebraska? Well, think about it. Let's be realistic. If you're thinking of the rep chart or the depth chart, mm-hmm. at right now he's probably at best number four, right? So well, consider – before you do that, consider the red jerseys here. Tony, KG, and Shep are all red jerseys. Ah, uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. So he is behind CJ Board right now, and he is behind um, – you know, I, I think Barry Slayton. But that may be a situation, you know, going back to the tight ends, where he's not going to be relied on to be as significant. Well, but that's as, the thing. It, you know, 
so I I just I just listed three guys on the on the that are wearing red jerseys that are probably ahead of on the depth chart. I can't list anybody above Bal- that should be ahead right. of Ballinger. Right, I can't exactly. list one. Right. So they're 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 different. That's a different comparison. Exactly. But that's but but for yeah. but for Giants fans, Wondell Robinson, he's he's learning the playbook. Chill out. You'll see him in training camp. You'll see him in preseason. You'll see what he can. He's do. He's going to be a lightning rod for. Giants Twitter all year. He is. He, and, and, and you know, that's what happens. Cordell Flott probably too. Um, yeah. And speaking of Cordell Flott, I'm going to flip to the defense really quick. And there's not much to talk about because remember, uh, helmets and shorts. So um, there's that. You know, for, for starters, Aziz Ojolari, we mentioned this before, but I think it's really important to mention it again because he did have a very good rookie year despite mm-hmm. the pass rush not being good. He looked pretty good. And... <laughs> You know, one thing that we highlighted is that he was really young last year. I think he was only 20 years old. So what we right. said was he may not have a big year, but consider that he is still growing. And mm-hmm. growing he is as he showed up this year with 10 pounds more of muscle. So now we're expecting a bigger leap from him as he's, you know, he's older. He's not just a young kid anymore. He's a little bit bigger. He's stronger. He's got a whole year under his belt. He's in a more aggressive defense. And he has Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side. I'm expecting some really big things from Aziz Jalari. So he's one of those guys that I'm going to keep my eyes on. He got a couple of votes and we went around the room and said, who's the guy you're expecting, you know, big things from? Yeah. Um I don't know. You got any any thoughts on the pass rush there, just from a personnel standpoint? I think he's gonna have a breakout year. <laughs> to be very honest, I think he's the guy. I mean, I I don't want to make this direct comparison, so don't freak out everybody. But back in the day, Carl Banks was one of those guys where John Madden would say, "You don't have to get any of the credit because LT is always there." Carl Banks, and you know, again, I'm not comparing these two guys to. LT and Carl Banks, but he could be a guy that's going to, you know, get benefit off just improved talent all around him to be a guy that's a real significant force. So, you know, I could see Aziz Ozolari knocking on the door for potentially Pro Bowl consideration in the year. That's my bold prediction for the defense. Fuck yeah, man. I'm all for that. A yeah. Pro Bowl pass rusher from a Giants team seems like something that happens and all the times, me, but has, it's been a while. <laughs> How about that? What was that? And not being Thibodeau. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's kind of likely. But, I mean, it's going to depend on how they line up. Which brings us to Wink Martindale. Um, one of the things was John Feliciano. People were – this was kind of like a soundbite. Uh, he was talking about how uh, Wink came out with some Wink stuff in minicamp. And that is <laughs> tons and tons and tons of different <laughs> looks. This defense relies a lot on communication for their exotic and creative – uh, looks and disguises. Um, everything is designed to create confusion all over the place and allow a couple extra seconds of the quarterback in the pocket um, while he diagnoses what's going on post snap. Allow you know linemen to get confused on assignments. Um, you know things like that. Uh, and when they do that, what they do is all of that is designed to create pressure in creative ways. Um, so we'll see things like defensive linemen dropping into coverage. Uh, things that were mentioned were safeties like Julian Love were lined up right over the center. Uh, blitzes coming from the second level is going to be a big thing, particularly from the slot. I think you'll see things like Dane Belton is probably going to be someone that you'll see in nickel and dime situations come in on a blitz. Um, you know, guys like Darnay Holmes, I could see making a a carve out on this roster uh, based in nickel and dime packages. Even though he's not a big man cover guy, I do like him. Uh, in underneath stuff, and I like him 
I actually like him blitzing and creating pressure. So this is going to be a little chaotic. And, and my hope here is that – well, I, I mean – so so you're a Gator guy. Yeah. Um, I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, right? yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, why don't you just talk – do you have – what are your overall thoughts of Wink Martindale's defense? Everything I just said, do you have concerns? Are you worried? Um, just just go ahead. Give me, give me your have, whole spiel on some, it. I have some concerns. And again, I am coming off the Todd Grantham defense of Florida for the last uh, three years where he came in with the exact same thing where tons and tons and tons of pressure blitzing all the time from every which way, every angle – all the time. Uh, communication is absolutely essential and key because if you know, the communication is not there and the guy's not in the right place, there's going to be guys running free all over. And when I hear a guy with a resume like that and what he wants to do, coming to uh, a young defense with you know key pieces that are missing, potential of secondary that's going to need help, I get a little nervous. So I'm curious to see how much of the playbook is installed right away and how much they're going to grow into it as opposed to here it is. This is the Wink Martindale defense and you're going to, I'm going to throw you in the ocean and you might sink or you might swim. So I am a little, it might be a year one thing of me of nerves. I think Martindale has a better track record than Todd Grantham as the, uh, when he blitzed, because Grantham was just like, fuck it, I'm blitzing every play just about. And, you know, having two corners come in from way out there, they have never have any chance of getting to the quarterback. Um, but it's, I think it might be a little bit of a rocky road early, and I hope that this fan base doesn't turn on him immediately as a scapegoat for things that this defense is going to have to grow into him. Yeah, um, I think I agree with you. I, I, have, I have some year one concerns. As a general philosophy, I love this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I do. I, I like creative blitzes. I think I think the league has shifted rules in the favor of offense, but defenses, they neuter themselves by not doing stuff like this. Um, right. And I, I think this kind of stuff is, is, is a gamble, but it's so much fun. And um, it often yields results even if it's not – it can be effective even if it's not effective the way it's designed, if that makes any sense. Just because you create so much confusion, you might get a quarterback doing something dumb. You know, and it's just that simple. Even if the guy didn't get home, he didn't create any pressure. It just wasn't what the quarterback was expecting. And he just he just threw it completely in the wrong direction. Um, so I do really like stuff like this. But this, to me, sounds like it relies on a lot of veteran leadership, yep. a lot of high IQ stuff. And this is a year one thing where, you know, Blake Martinez is probably great for this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that I feel okay with that. I think it Xavier – Mc- It makes you wonder why they got rid of Logan Ryan. So that is a fair point. I mean, there's a million reasons why I wonder why they got rid of Logan. Yeah. Um, but that's a fair point. I think Xavier McKinney can grow into it. But remember, he's still very young with only like one and like a third NFL seasons under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and up front, you know, Leonard Williams, I think he can communicate some of that. But again, it's not – and probably Dexter Lawrence too. But th- there's not a ton of experience here and there's certainly not a ton at corner. You know, Adoree Jackson has been in the league for a little while now. But he's not really on the field for a full season like virtually ever. So the and fact that he's – a lot of eye communication as much as verbal pre-snap and post-snap with these guys. And uh, it, But see, like worry. it also – it requires a lot of leadership I think off the field. I think it requires a lot of these like um, – self-motivated 
meetings between you know dbs you know what i mean and and like you know we hear stories in 2011 about how the defense turned shit around and antro roll and Dion grant started their own db thing and they would text each other quizzes basically mm-hmm. like if they come out like this what are you supposed to do um and that was all them being them and they also approached perry fuel and they were like we need to get the communication sleeker because this is where we're screwing up so like that's all veteran accountability <laughs> from guys like Corey webster antrell roll and uh Dion grant guys who had been in the league for a really long time guys who had won super bowls been to the playoffs mm-hmm. we don't have that shit anymore no. there's nothing why, like that and to answer your original question i think is you know i expect a modified version of this defense in year one i don't think he's gonna throw the kitchen sink at them all and have everybody thinking too much because there's a lot of thinking involved in defenses like this. And, you know, I, I think having all of these OTAs in this offseason and training camp will get a good assessment of what can be absorbed by this roster right now, what they can do and what they can't do. So it's still a work in process. But, again, I'm going to be a little nervous this year until I see it on the field, you know, the, the breakdowns, the miscommunications, the easy touchdowns that are just like, well, where was anybody? And we'll see if that is minimized or eliminated as the season goes on. Well, I'll, I'll say it like this. I'll be on my toes for those things, but I'm not going to be nervous because I'm not really expecting anything, especially from you know a coverage standpoint on defense this year. <laughs> my mm. expectations are so low this year. I'm not really going to be super <laughs> disappointed if we lose a game because of a, a well, super looking... busted cover. I mean, in oh, the yeah. moment, I'll be pissed, but I'm not going to be like, this fucking wink defense, blah, blah. It's oh, just yeah. going to be like, well, we suck. What do you I, do? I can guarantee you, after talking about the draft picks is the big focal point of giant Twitter. Yeah. Wink's defense will be my second guess will be, yeah. you know, giants to will get on this case sooner than anything on the offense. I think they will be on his case more than Daniel Jones even. Yeah. I think I suspect that he's going to be a big off season topic next year. You know, there's going to be a big argument as to whether or not we need a new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. But so here's the thing. I mentioned veteran leadership. I'm a big fan of paying corners now mm-hmm. because I, I just think that it's so hard to predict corners in the draft and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a known quantity and paying I, – I, I like paying money for known quantities. I don't like throwing money at, at guesses and I don't really like throwing money at depth either. Mm-hmm. Um but if I am going to throw money, it's going to be at corner. Uh, and so, you know, we have we have the space next year. So if Wink Martindale does stick around for another year, I suspect that in his second year, you know, obviously oh. a whole year. But but again, you're adding. I, I suspect that there will be additions on defense in free agency next year, which will add a lot of experience, NFL experience, and veteran leadership that will also help Wink's defense oh, in addition I- to talent. I have no expectation he's a one and done or in defensive uh, defensive coordinator. I think you're going to hear noise from the fan base, but I fully expect him to. But but I think I think the doubts might go away after year two because I suspect that they'll invest at the positions that need it the most, and Agreed. I think that everything we just said, right? Like the communication is going to be a part that's not talked about as much. They're going to talk about the talent and they're going to talk about probably injuries and all that stuff. But really the veteran leadership, I think is another part of Wink's defense that makes it work really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that that will be an under talked about 
aspect that okay. fans will turn around on Wink probably. Yep. And I guarantee you he'll probably be gone for a head coaching gig after that second year. That's kind of what I'm expecting, to be honest. He'll either be a head coach or he'll be fired. So I mean, Yeah, probably. I mean, the normal expectation for you know coordinators is only a couple of years. I mean, the days of the Bud Fosters, those are long gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... That is pretty much all we got. Like I said, we only got two days of minicamp, and most of the OTA stuff we had already went over. So that's pretty much it until August. The Giants players are not going to be around. So this is when you don't want to hear from us. Uh, Because if you're hearing from us, it's news. And since we don't have any money, that news is probably going to be bad news. Um, That's so. when we start scouring the police blotters. We start looking at the. We go to the hospitals to look to see who's admitted with injuries, those type of things. Yeah, exactly. And we don't want to do that. Yeah, pretty much. So, this show will be sporadic here and there with news. Um, well, we'll start our uh, our pens and our pen and magic marker. Look at the the season coming up. That's, yeah, that's some some light stuff. Up. You know, just some mm-hmm. fun stuff here and there. I'm going to probably. Um, add some stuff to the YouTube channel that's just me, just little things. I'm going to complete up the uh, the draft pick breakdowns that I've been doing. I think I only have like three left. One of them is recorded, just not edited. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, since we talked about it, uh, I'm going to go through the all USFL players, the ones that were selected to their whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll sure. just I'll look at them and see if any of them are NFL worthy. And if they are, then uh, I'll do a short little video on them. Because sure. I, I can guarantee you that two or three of them are going to get some level of NFL contract. Whether that's a tryout, a practice squad thing, two or three players, that's my minimum. Like that. Grump, if I walk around the great state of New Jersey... Mm-hmm. Would I find nine people who know that the generals went nine and one? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, but I mean, I think part of that has to do with. I don't want to go down this like USFL road, but <laughs> that's the um, season. No, but but I mean, like, I I think that um, the regional like hoopla isn't going to be there until they start playing games in their home areas. Which uh, they they kind of shelved to just kind of get the league started and everything is being played in Alabama and then the playoffs are being uh, handled in Canton, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, but like you know the regional stuff like that where like people get excited or whatever that that's not going to happen until they play here because right now the only people attending games probably uh, are either family members or they reside in Alabama because I mean tickets are cheap as hell. So well, like, let me do, let me do ask you a semi serious question then. Uh, You've watched some, apparently. How is the a? How is the player level and the level of play compared to these other spring startups we've had over the last five, ten years? And what do you think? Is there any chance that this t- league will be have any sort of niche going forward? Um, the level of play is overall probably on par uh, with the last two leagues, the AAF and the XFL, in terms of player balance. So, like. There are there's there's a handful of players that have moved on from the AAF and the XFL to have legitimate NFL careers in the last two years. You know, Young Ko is one of them, a kicker for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that running back to oh my god, I, damn, I don't remember what team he went to, um, <laughs> but uh, Henderson or whatever. He was another one that that came out of the league and went in there. Um, there, so there's there's. 
patches of players like that. But then, of course, you know, there's just teams that don't have a lot of those guys that impact positions and they play yeah, each other and it's garbage. But it's also, it is the first year. So um, I think that as a league, it is less gimmicky than the other two leagues and it seems a lot more legitimate. The coaching seems legit. It just, it feels like I'm watching probably like, uh, like college football of like eight college teams I'd never heard of before. Um, it's kind of kind of like that. Uh, as far as its legitimacy and its niche, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that its placement in the year allows a path for players to move on. I think in general, any spring league allows a path for players to move into the NFL. Well, that's uh, the thing. I, you know, I, I cut down. You, you think about it. Like, the Giants are desperately thin at some positions, and they have no money. So at, it, they can take a flyer on a guy that has some game tape available – and has some game experience. It's still better than you know practice squad experience in the NFL. At least it's real experience. It's live bullets. You know what I mean? I guess. Uh, I guess the thing about it is, you know, what does this league want to do? I mean, do they want to be a feeder league for the NFL? Do they see themselves as a minor league, or they see themselves as an alternative? I have no idea what they see themselves as, but they're going to probably stick around for a little bit longer because, like I said, that AAF did have players successfully transition from one league to the next their problem was budgeting um this is mm-hmm. not going to be an issue of budgeting because they're backed by fox uh, uh fox, what is it? Right? i think it's fox i think it's fox sports or nbc and they've done some simulcast with nbc i believe so there is yeah there, there's there's, there's money there is money behind this this is legitimate and, it's being you know people like colin cowherd are talking about it because of well, this backing but I mean, yeah. that's a legitimate. That's a legitimate national voice in the sports world. There's people who just listen to him talk sports every day, and if he's talking about the USFL, it moves it. Um, I mean, that I'm, wasn't the case with the AAF. My guess is, if you are just a hardcore, if you're a football grump, and football is ninety-five percent of your sports watching diet, I could see there being a niche for it. But for someone like myself, where you know the last two and a half months have been consumed with. You know, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, baseball, you know, not to mention all the other stuff like, you know, NYCFC, Champions League, all these other things. I mean, it's kind of come in my list six out of five things. So, yeah, but see, I, I, the NBA playoffs to me are as boring as watching paint dry. Yeah, no, I, yeah but that's that's your opinion. But I mean, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, oh, of course, it's a very crowded time period sure. in the sports calendar. So if. I don't sure, want and 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 if the and if the Knicks are garbage, and let's just say the Lightning is trash next year, I mean you're still going to watch those teams beforehand. But I don't know if if the Lightning are getting killed and there's nothing else on, would you flip to football? Uh, Three years into the league, let's say, if league I don't still, have, if I don't have any, see the thing, and we've had this conversation before that one of the beauties of sports is. You follow it through to the end of a, like the story, you know, the the soap opera of a season, the soap opera of continuing seasons, how you follow a team, you love a team, you follow all the intricacies of it, not only your team, but the teams you have passion the other way of teams you hate. I mean, if I'm not going to flip on, I mean, there's been opportunities, you know, it's not, you know, constantly there's a playoff game on or a baseball game. I've, I've had opportunities. I just, I maybe watched like a series and been like, well, is there something else on? 
I, I just don't know. I mean, you also went to England and just decided to pick a team and decided that's, that it was your favorite and watched it all the way through. True. So, that, I mean, that's it's entirely up to you to decide to do it. I think in in the actual instance in which the Lightning aren't worth following because you know the season is over, which is not the same as there's no game tonight. You know right. what I mean? Um, where you're just legitimately disinterested in hockey for the year. It's just a secondary. No, no, I, I mean, I, I'm genuinely interested i mean i watched a lot of uh, NBA playoffs but, but you, you know what i'm talking about right like where it's like you're you're an nfl fan for sure but the giants have been out of it since you know october so you're kind of watching and you're enjoying right. but like you have no real drive to watch it you know if again now we're talking three years in the future this league is still hanging around there are let's just say small pockets of fans i think there's a chance that somebody like I, you could get sucked into it at least for I, a little bit you know what i think their best chance of success is and success will define later but their chance to hang around if they can get a level of play that's consistent of that, course and that, that but, but that just comes with me, time let me finish if they get a level of play that's consistent that people will start gambling on it because that's kind of a gap in the season where you know you know we all know that more people watch the hall of fame game in basketball and football than they do a stanley cup final game because most of them are gambling on it and I think if they right now you can't gamble on the USFL because it's a complete crapshoot. Nobody knows who's playing, histories of anything. It's just there. If they can develop something down the road where okay, we know Philadelphia is pretty good. We know, you know, the generals are this. We know the players going in, and people could start gambling on it, and it becomes part of the rotation. That could really help it, and that could help ratings. That could help everything for it. So that might be it's kind of saving grace. They're already doing that, though. So, like, I understand what you're saying is that it's not really worth gambling on right now because you have a nine and one team playing a one and nine team. That's not worth gambling on because oh, no, 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 I've been talking about that. It's like, but but what I'm saying a level of play where like people are making educated guesses based on things that the right. players they know tendencies they know with coaches. I get what you're saying. What I'm saying is that the the powers that be are already pushing the gambling thing with it. They've, yeah, they they, they've had the the gambling lines for who's going to win the year. Um, and, yeah, but, and things like that. So they, they, they're, that's an avenue that they absolutely are going to exploit. Right. And again, what you're seeking just needs time. It just yeah, needs time for the league to develop. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that the, you know, the, the mechanics of it aren't there. I'm talking about the. Oh yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. The, the credibility behind it, or like, because like again, the, the average Joe Schmo travels from St. Louis to Vegas for the weekend in the fall. He may never bet on a sport event in his life, but he goes to a casino. He kind of knows if the Patriots are playing the Jaguars. You know, I think the Patriots are going to kill them. I'm going to bet. That same guy goes to Vegas in April. He has no clue. And of, they, of they, course. They have to get for that to even kick in. Yeah, but but to get, to get to that guy first, they have to get the degenerate gambler guy. And, you know, it, it, yeah. it trickles down from there. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, that's going to do it for us for today. We will see you in a couple weeks. Stay tuned for the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, etc., and as well, YouTube, of course, where we are a lot more active and have other yeah. content as well. You can follow me on Twitter, FUP underscore Grump, and him at the Cranky Fan for all minor headlines that won't warrant an episode. Uh, they will be retweeted and talked about there. For sure. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Go Giants. Go Giants. And go Bolts.